Amen. Well, welcome again, everybody. Uh, still glad you're here. Um, I used to think when I was a boy that anybody shorter than me in the NBA that I could beat at basketball, uh, which was only one person, Muggsy Bogues. Does anybody know who that is? Five foot three, like staple 90s basketball player, Space Jam. I mean, if you make Space Jam, yeah. So I once believed as a 12-year-old boy that I could beat a full-grown man who had dedicated his life to becoming an NBA basketball player, one of the top 300 players in the world at that time, because I was one inch taller than him. (laughs) That's what I thought. I needed to put some respect on Muggsy's name. I mean, how could you not respect somebody with the name Muggsy? Um, It commands respect because he could ball. Um, I actually looked up the, the meaning. I just went on a rabbit trail here. I looked up the meaning of the name Muggsy. Do you know what it means? A legend of a man, which is the greatest name now for Muggsy Bogues. I now put respect on Muggsy's name. He is Muggsy, and he is a legend. Have you ever looked up what your name means? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you should, because it's interesting. Maybe your parents named you what you are because of your name. I don't think mine did. Um, I I don't mind my name, but I found out that my, my name means descending, which... It's pretty dang exciting, I guess. Um, That's what my name means. And uh, my wife and I are due, uh, many of you know, for our third child in two weeks. And you think about that a lot. When you're expecting a child, uh, you are trying out all these names. And usually my wife wants to hear if it sounds gross coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And what I might, nickname I might do with with the name that we pick. But, um, and I'll be honest with you, my wife... Sad to say, has said no to the name Muggsy three times. Um, I've forgiven her for that. I've forgiven her for that, for sure. But uh, a name means something, doesn't it? It means something as in there's a definition to it, for sure. But your name means something. What does your name mean? It's a way, it's a way to remember you, certainly. I'm Jordan T. Stonehouse. I don't know why... I, I do the tea thing, but Jordan Thomas Stonehouse. But it's also something deeper than that. It's not just so people know what to call you. What happens when things get attached to your name that you don't like? Your name means something. What happens when the reputation attached to your name is less favorable than you want? What happens when you dislike yourself? What happens when you don't like the person who carries your name? What happens when maybe your name is something, means something beautiful or good and you don't live up to it? What happens to your name when you hurt someone? We're going to turn to an ancient story, as we always do, of two brothers whose names tell a story. We're going to spend the next five or six weeks looking at how this story unfolds. It's a story of of people's names, of what they mean, but how you see their stories play out. It's about people's identities. It's about people's decisions. And it's ultimately a 
about forgiveness and reconciliation. A lot of things get attached to our name. And I don't know what you've come in here with. I don't know what your name carries for you. But perhaps we're not stuck with our names. Perhaps even when we don't respect ourselves and we don't respect others, there still might be hope if things attached to our name are less favorable. This is a series about forgiveness in the cycles of woundedness. It's going to be hard, like this subject always is. But I want to invite us to, to walk the road of forgiveness today because there might possibly be a new name, even if you've been wounded or even if you've been hurt by other people. But in order to do that, we need to be honest. So let me pray and we'll dive into our story today. Here's a new journey that we're taking together through another story in your word today, Lord. And I pray that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds to process what you might want each of us to see and collectively as a group to see about you and about your heart and about how you've called us to live and forgive and reconcile with ourselves, with you, and with others. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in two different places today, Genesis chapter 25 and 27. And uh, yeah, we'll jump right in. Uh, in Genesis chapter 25, uh, starting at verse 19, we'll have it up on the screens. You can always pull, uh, if you like to read the Bible on your phone, you're welcome to do that. Um, or otherwise, they'll always be up on the screen or take a Bible with you, a physical copy. Uh, Verse 19, Genesis 25. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. So we've talked about him a couple weeks ago. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, which is a beautiful sentence already. Isaac prayed for his wife on behalf, or his, to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. But the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were two twin boys in her womb. The first came out, and he was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. He was a furry little fella. Uh, So they named him Esau, which means red. After this, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. 
Isaac, who had a taste for the wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's an interesting last sentence there. Once again, we see in this story thus far the markings of some pain. First, there's infertility with Isaac and Rebekah. This is the second biblical story where this happens. They can't have kids. That's painful, as, as some of you know. But then they were able to get pregnant, and now they're having twins, and that's exciting. But even while they're in the womb, and as they're going to be born, we read that these two boys have conflict with each other from the day even before that they were born. They seem to have the odds stacked against them. And it's, it's even fueled by their own parents. Isn't it interesting? We read at the very end there that uh, the dad loved Esau and the mom loved Jacob. Which implies that the dad didn't love Jacob and the mom didn't love Esau. This is a hard story. If you've ever felt unloved by a parent or you don't know, you know how this story feels. But what makes it even worse is they name the second child Jacob. Jacob in the original language means heel grabber. So he's grabbing at the heel of his brother while he's being born. What does the name mean? So now understand, names in the Hebrew culture were a big deal. If you've been around the Bible, you know that that's true and it's different. Um, A Hebrew parent uh, did not pick their name because they liked the way it sounded, necessarily. Kind of like, I wanted my daughter's name to be Muggsy, but we're not going with that name. They understood that their name had some form of identity attached to it, a legacy that they would live into. And so this little boy is given a difficult legacy from the start. He's given a name because he's grabbing at the heel of his brother. You little heel grabber, you will always attempt to interfere with another, to impede on the progress and purposes of even your family. In other words, you will consistently be hurting people. This is is a series on forgiveness that we're starting today. Which, as I said, will require us to be honest. Who has hurt you? Who has caused trouble to you? Family member, a past relationship, a present relationship, one of your children, an employer, a stranger. Our wounds come from somewhere. We all carry something and perhaps from further back than we even know. 
and the shockwaves of those experiences resonate maybe to this very day. If we're going to do the work, individually and collectively, of understanding forgiveness and reconciliation, we can't do it with, with a misunderstanding of our own woundedness. Take a breath. That's already pretty deep. That's some deep interior stuff there. And there's some pressure. Excavating our wounds is not fun. And we're not actually focusing on this just to make any of us hurt. The goal actually is to see us heal is to see us maybe reconcile to people whom we need to, to forgive the other, but also to forgive yourself. I want to push a little deeper into this story. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, which is interesting. The word red there is Esau's name. So like, let me have some Esau stew. (laughs) Hebrew is funny. I'm famished, he said. This is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So these brothers, Esau being born first, Jacob being the one who grabbed the heel as Esau was being born. Jacob and Esau are probably around 15 years old when this story happens. And they think this uh, for a couple of reasons, but because lentil stew... Has anybody ever had the lentil stew from Carabas? Uh, One of my favorite. No, just me? Um, that lentil stew was a traditional meal that would be served at a time of mourning. So they think that that's what Jacob is doing here because right before this story was the death of Abraham. So his grandpa had just passed away, and these boys uh, would have been about 15 when their grandpa had died. So they're mourning the loss, we believe, of their grandpa. So the backdrop of this story is a funeral, which puts it into perspective a little bit, because it's, it's kind of a silly story when you think about it. He's trading his birthright, this inheritance, for a cup of soup. But it puts it into perspective. When Esau says, look, I'm about to die. Give me some stew. It would be easy for us to think that he's being melodramatic. But he's not just being melodramatic. You know what he's being? Fifteen. And this is how, I mean, anybody when you're processing the loss of somebody, but this is how a 15-year-old processes a death or a loss that it's all-consuming, and that's not even to diss on teenagers in here. We all resort to that hurt, that vulnerable place. 
when we're mourning the loss of somebody, processing their grandpa, processing their pain and the hurt. And this is the first time Jacob, you know, he was given that name at birth, Jacob the heel grabber. This is the first time we see him living into the legacy of his name. He's deceiving his brother. He takes advantage of his brother's pain. He manipulates the situation and he steals from his brother. And if you paraphrase uh, the next scene that these two have together, by the end of chapter 27, which we're told is about 25 years later, so Esau and Jacob would be 40 years old uh, in the story we're about to read, that's when things really begin to unravel as if they weren't already a little messed up. Chapter 27 records this elaborate plot between Rebecca and Jacob. Remember, Rebecca loved Jacob, and Isaac loved Esau, so there's this like family division. There's uh, mom and son versus father and son, and the goal of this plot between mom and son, between Rebecca and Jacob, was not only to steal the inheritance, which is like a financial thing, but to steal the blessing you've been around, we've talked about that blessing that God said to Abraham, that he would become the father of many nations and a blessing to the world. So now we're talking about a separate thing here, that Jacob wanted to take that as well. He wanted to be the one that uh, would steal this blessing. And this blessing was a big deal because, like I said, it goes all the way back to Abraham, whom God had given this promise to, because one day they believed that through this blessing, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, would come. So not only did Jacob want to steal the financial and physical property of his brother's birthright, he also wanted that position of honor. So getting the blessing is way bigger than a birthright because a, a birthright is, is about money. Excuse me, the inheritance about, is about money, but the blessing... Is about history. Jacob steals it. And with his mom's help, the story is strange, as in many Bible stories. As we read something that happened thousands of years ago, he disguises himself as Esau. He, he puts on lambskin and makes himself a furry fella, kind of like his brother is. Sneaks into his father's room, and the text tells us, the story tells us that Isaac at that time is nearly blind, so he can't see. So Jacob pretends to be Esau and steals the blessing. And Jacob knew that once his dad had promised this blessing, that he he would never go back on his promise because a man's word was everything to them. So let's pick up on the story. This is right after uh, Isaac had blessed Jacob. He had given him this commissioning, this blessing that through him, the Savior of the world would eventually come. Let's pick up on the story and find the moment when Esau and Isaac find out that they've been deceived. Genesis 27, verse 30. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so you may give me your blessing. 
The time had come. His father asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he said. Your firstborn, Esau. And at that, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said, Bless me too, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked him, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you, and have made all his relatives and his servants, and have sustained him with grain and and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, which is a question I think we would ask too, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. You can hear the pain. You can feel the pain even in the repetition of my father, my father. One brother deceived by another. One person hurt by another. Jacob's decisions to deceive. They hurt his mom. They hurt his dad. They hurt his brother. Jacob did that. Everybody in this story is hurt. If we, and we'll get to see this story continue to unfold, it's pretty wild. If we ever want to walk down the road of reconciliation, of wholeness, of forgiveness, we have to first start by admitting that we're hurt. And honestly, naming what hurts and who it came from is a good start. There really can't be reconciliation unless there's another person involved. Who hurt you? What wounds do you carry? Who have you hurt? What does your name mean? we do the work to excavate our wounds, and I know this is sensitive and hard. We trace our current struggle back to where they began. That's the first step in the healing process. It's important that we understand that. 
I'm not saying we have to air out our dirty laundry to everybody on a street corner, but we can't just push it down. Maybe you've tried that for years and it just keeps coming back. For some of us, it's been too long and we might not even be sure exactly who or where our hurt came from, but we feel the effects of it. Our wounds matter. They shape us, they form us, but they don't have to define us. They drive what we do and the choices that we make. We should pay attention to our wounds because when we do, it allows us to release the power that the pain has over our lives. To choose the path of forgiveness, even though it's a myth that you forgive and you forget because we're smart creatures and we remember. But to choose that path To enter in to allow God to heal and reveal things within us that we might believe lies that we might believe about ourselves because when we don't even though it might be easier to avoid the pain in the short run we might believe things about our name that aren't true or maybe there's things about our name that we know are and we need to repent and turn back to the loving face of God This week, I want to invite us all, <clears throat> and again, I know I don't know what's coming to mind for you, but I probably wouldn't be surprised, I'll just say that much. But this week, I want us each to admit that we're wounded, and perhaps to identify a name that you've allowed to define you, identify it, identify where or who it comes from. You see these blank name tags? I'm not going to make you do anything with that right now. They're on your seat if you want to take one with you. But maybe somebody gave you a false name as a kid. Maybe you've had this label on you that has defined you from when you were a little boy or a little girl. Maybe you never challenged it. Maybe you never turned to God to see what your name really is. I want to invite us to choose to walk the road of forgiveness for others. And, man, maybe in this story that you've been hearing, you identify with the heel grabber. That you can think of Times in your life, maybe even this morning, when you deceived or you hurt or you, everything on the Jacob side, maybe you actually did something that you feel like deserves that label. A little bit of shame is okay. It leads us to the grace and loving arms of God. In both cases, it's important to acknowledge that people hurt. I want to leave you with a little bit of hope, though, guys, because I know this is challenging. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself and therefore to be honest 
potentially with other people. God still offers forgiveness and a new name to everyone, whether we think we deserve it or not. Later in the Bible, much later, very last collection of words, book of the Bible in Revelations, we're given a beautiful picture of, of what heaven is like as it relates to our name and everything attached to it. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I do say that every week, but I'm going to say it again. Revelation 2.17, it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. There will come a day for you who are in Christ. There will come a day when God will hand you a new name tag. When he'll hand you a new stone with a name. And I just love this passage because it says, to a name known only to the one who receives it. So God, the creator, the good, good father, will one day look at you and say, here is your real name, my child. Here's who you are. You might have believed that you were this, but you're this. And the greatest of all those things is this child. No matter what shame is attached to your name today, no matter what wounds you're experiencing, or if you have been the heel grabber, if you remain in Christ and you honestly enter into the process of the path of forgiveness and reconciliation, you will be given a new name. You are a child of God. So I want you to take this name tag home with you. And you do whatever you want with it. If you feel like you want to write that name that you've been defining yourself by that is not you, write the name on there and burn it. Thought about starting some fires in here today, but I know a little better than that. Or if you just want to write, I'm a child of God, stick it on your mirror in your bathroom and look at that every day. Remember whose you are. There will be a day, no matter what your name means today, no matter what reputation is attached to it today, no matter what anybody has told you about you, there will be a day when the one who has all authority in the universe will look at you, give you a new name, and say, here, you are my child. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll believe that as we journey through these coming weeks to wrestle with forgiveness. As we encounter this old story with all of its dramatic turns and we find ourselves in the story, I pray that at the end of all that and even through it, we will... uh, even as it gets scary to, to think of how we might need to forgive someone, how we might need to forgive ourselves, to take the identity that you are offering as a child of you, that we would remember that, that you have the final say, and you give us a promise that if we faithfully turn towards you, 
receive our identity from you, place our faith in Jesus, you will give us a new name. I pray that that will start and we'll begin to see it today. Amen.